everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Sutter. I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at Sutter. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can also follow Locked On Suns. We're closing on 2,000 followers at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support is very much appreciated as always. We're back to you guys for our Friday episode here. We've had just Brennan and I talking throughout the week on some interesting topics. Today, we're going to have another interesting one for you. Revolving around the rookies that the Suns drafted this year. Cam Johnson, Ty Drum, the undrafted free agent they signed right after, after the draft ended in Jalen LeCue, the high school point guard. So, Brennan, what's your overall thoughts? I mean, we've had about six weeks now since the draft. I, I feel like we've worn up to the idea of what they did in the draft. Just maybe so, like, on, in August now, what are your opinions on these three guys? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about how we're both a little bit more um, optimistic about what they did and how it could uh, help the team in the long term after seeing the rest of the summer. So I definitely think that helped seeing what they did in free agency and uh, how it all kind of fits together. I think just having shooting and having experienced players and having people that are going to get along and, and help to form a culture. They both came, Johnson and Jerome, at least from winning programs and have been around for a long time in college. So that all kind of fits together. And I think that's that's the main thing. I'm excited to see them in training camp because we didn't get to see them in summer league. But uh, it's it's really interesting to me to think about whether or not we'll even see much of them in the regular season. I think that's an open question right now. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see those three guys throughout the season because, like you mentioned, they went a completely different route under James Jones. Ryan McDonough always been on potential, but with Jones, he's going for more experienced guys outside of LeCue, who we'll get to also later on today's show. But let's start off with starting at the top of the draft here, Cam Johnson, the surprising pick of the water at number 11 overall. The Suns traded back, got Dario Saric, and they got the rights to Cam Johnson at 11. So what are your expectations? And overall, how do you feel about Johnson heading into this season? Because I feel like, He's a player who I think is going to – maybe I'm a little bullish on him since I've watched a lot of him over the last few weeks, but I think his shooting ability is going to really give him about 15 to 20 minutes per game pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea as far as uh, – not no idea, but I, I I think the minutes he plays will be based in large part on the people ahead of him. I mean, I, I think that the the thinking, even though they did go with – more experienced players in the draft, I still feel like the rest of their summer showed us that part of the uh, the philosophy with how they're going to approach player development in the draft, I think is going to be to take things slower and to not rely on young players as soon as they enter the league, as much as Ryan McDonough did, as much as this franchise has over the past, uh, you know, eight years since they lost the playoffs. So, I think if there's players ahead of him that are performing at a high level, Johnson, in my opinion, I think that we could see, you know, maybe similar to think of how Mikhail Bridges came along. It it happened for him a lot sooner because injuries and everything, uh, especially to Devin Booker early in the year, came on much more quickly than I think anyone would have hoped. But I would imagine it to be pretty similar for Johnson. I agree with you that he'll probably be at least an above average or average three-point shooter right away from the NBA level. And I think he'll make an impact offensively spacing the floor and making smart plays. But I actually don't think he'll play a ton, at least not immediately. What position do you think he's going to be at? Because I know James Jones is kind of says he'll play all three positions, but I feel like they're going to, at least for rookies, you'd hope they just start one position and learn from there. So do you expect him to be more of a 
a two three or a three four because I feel like since he's a six foot nine guy, six eight and a half. I mean, he gives him at least some versatility at multiple positions there. I definitely think he'll be versatile. I think he'll he'll slide across uh, a couple, maybe two or three positions defensively. I think you know if you just go based on where you think the rotation lands and and kind of set aside the fact of how tall he is. I think, you know, to, to, to say this up front, like in my opinion, he's not going to be able to defend anyone right away. I just think that's going to be a major weakness of his game. I think he, he has a chance to be an average defender over time, uh, especially a team defender. We, we saw a lot of flashes there of just, you know, rotating intelligently and, and can, you know, getting a hand up to contest shots. He's got on closeouts, a lot of things that I think he can build on, but just with his slow, uh, slow feet, lateral mobility, even in college was not his, his best attribute. I think he's going to struggle to defend anybody. So I think if you just think of him on offense, he can pretty much play anywhere in that case, because, you know, maybe not the one or the five, but I think he could play two through four. If you just think of him as a shooter and kind of an off ball spacer, that's, that's anything that you can put that anywhere and play him with really anyone else on the court. So I think that is one thing that will allow him to, to get on the floor more is that he can just shoot the hell out of the ball. So it's like putting that guy into a lineup is the easiest thing to do. Yeah. That shooting versatility for him is definitely going to be the most interesting aspect because 46% of his shots, he converted from the NBA shot. And you also look at his three point attempt rate, which is well above 50%, which I think is a great sign for his, his long-term output as far as being a short shooter in the NBA. But what position do you think he plays? Um, I, I'd probably say he's more so along the lines of – I think he's more of a 2-3 because I, I kind of yeah. bought myself into him being like a jumbo J.J. Redick. I think that's his best optimum output. I hope they use him like that. It's like running around screens. I wonder how his endurance is though because we really didn't see it a lot of that. At North Carolina, he was mostly just like a spot-up guy. But if he can become like a, a, someone who just snakes around screens and just runs around just creating defenders, getting them gassed out a little bit, I like the idea of that. So I wanted to throw back to you because it seems like for Cam's – his minute total, I know it's going to fluctuate, of course, but what do you think is the best way to use him, at least right away, maybe in the first six weeks of the season? To me, I mean, I think, you know, to piggyback off of your answer, which I think is the one that I would land on just more, as I said, because of what else is on the roster more so than him, is that he will play a lot of, I think he'll play a lot of two, to be honest with you. They just, this team doesn't have a backup two guard. And if you, if you do, um, Again, like Mikhail Bridges is probably going to be on the court with him quite a bit. If we assume that Kelly Oubre is starting, then then whenever Johnson does get on the court, I would imagine a lot of that comes next to Bridges. And to me, Bridges is going to just defend the best offensive player, one through three on the other team, or even one through four in some situations. So positionally, that'll really change on a nightly basis. But I just think that the team needs to find some... Uh, just playable options behind Devin Booker. So I think that's, that's his best path to uh, operating there. And I think, I think that's a way that he could succeed if you have uh, a lot of offense around him and then another wing defender who can protect him. I think that's, that's an ideal situation. If we talk about not expecting the world out of a rookie right away, having him be a third or fourth option in the second unit is a, a very nice way to just let him get his feet wet in the NBA. Yeah, it seems like we're definitely on the same page there as far as insulating him in his best role right away because that second 
you know, I actually really like it the more I'm thinking about it. with Tyler Johnson, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. You also toss in Aaron Baines in that mix. I really like that foursome. And what do you think about that group? Because I think there's a real chance that if Mikhail breaks out a little bit, which I think we're both on the same page too, uh, that he could really take a leap this year. What's your expectation for that second unit this year? Yeah, I think that you just really need like one consistent thing that you can get out of a second unit offensively to be at least good enough for the Suns uh, desires and and goals this year. I don't think they need to to be world busters. So I think that uh, just having Tyler Johnson as like a pick and roll player and and running most of your second, second unit offense that way with Aaron Baines just setting a high screen and rolling to the basket and then three shooters around him in, you know, whether that's Cam or whoever, and then Mikhail and and Frank Kaminsky, I think that group is going to just be pretty efficient compared to most second units with how much shooting and uh, shot creation with Tyler that they have there. Like I, I think that'll be a humongous strength compared to the unknown anonymous guys that were running out there together toward the end of last season in the second unit and even in the starting unit, of course. But I think that adding guys in the, in the starting lineup, had the, the ripple effect here of making the backups even more useful. Yeah, we've hammered this point home a lot since the draft and free agency, but kudos to James Jones for really rehashing the bottom half of this roster because it really was not competitive last year under Ryan McDonough, and now this year I really like what they have as far as from six to nine or ten goes. I think that's a legit four or five guys that could play and just hold their own. I think that's a good thing that you're going to see with the Suns this year. More competitive basketball means more competitive players on the roster. But what do you think as far as – we can close out on this if you want that anymore, Brennan, but what do you think for, for Cam Johnson especially? What's his ceiling for? I know you mentioned his defense. I could hold him back a little bit. What do you think is the optimal output? Maybe in worst-case scenario that could happen this year. Yeah, I think worst-case scenario would just be, you know, as far as like obviously injuries or – just being terrible are two things that you can't really account for, but just real realistic, like what I would be disappointed in as far as his season, if he was on the court and everything, I think it would just be to, to lose the playing time to, to have opportunities on the court and not be able to make the most of them and then be beat out in the rotation by guys that we weren't expecting. You know, if, if suddenly Elia Kobo is getting those two guard minutes and Mikhail Bridges is playing more and, there's really no place in the rotation because Johnson loses that trust. I think that would be a bad thing because as much as I want these guys to be taken along slowly, I do think this season is important. I think by the end of it, he should be playing quite a bit. And so if he, uh, if he loses this year, you know, we're already talking about a guy entering his mid twenties and that's, uh, or nearing his mid twenties. And that's the reality of taking older players. So the, uh, the progression chart I guess is a lot steeper for him where he'll need to rev into shape more quickly than some uh and so over the course of the season I I hope his playing time goes up and if it wouldn't I would be pretty uh pretty concerned I guess yeah I would be too I think you bring up a good point on defense too because he really struggled at points against fast guys and in the NBA you're only going to find fast players unless you're guarding let's say like a JJ Barea for example or if Pablo Pergione was yeah, Jared Dudley, perfect one right there. That's who you probably guard if they play the Lakers. But he's he has very limited options defensively. Does that worry you at all as far as long-term output? I know they draft him just to be a sharpshooter, but you got to at least in today's NBA, you got to at least hold your own on the defensive side. Yeah, no, long-term, I don't think I'm too worried. I mean, that'll be something that we'll have to see and watch how he adjusts and, and different. You know, I think he's just going to have to learn different tricks and if he can get stronger maybe and 
learn how to use his size and length to his advantage on the wing. I think we've seen guys like him become at least playable. And, and if his offense comes, then it's even less of a concern. So it's obviously a big question, and it's something I think he needs to to show in year one. But I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I think it's uh, going to inhibit him over the course of his career just yet. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think we have to wait and see on Cam Johnson. I'm really confident those offensive output is going to be very nice to see. He's get, Once you guys realize, if you haven't really watched Cam Johnson before, I know Brent and I really dived into the tape over the last few months and watched him, but he, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. He takes very little time. He's an effortless stroke, so it's going to be really fun to watch Cam Johnson this year. But before we go on to our next segment, diving into our next rookie, Ty Jerome, I want to tell everyone really quickly about the Lockdown NFL show. The new Lockdown NFL is on fire. Last week was one of the most listened to NFL shows. With the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson, hosted by Brian Peacock, Lockdown NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL and Matt's unique take on the game. Follow Lockdown NFL now on your favorite podcast provider. Alrighty, Brian, let's dive in now to Ty Jerome, who was the it was a trade on draft night that the Suns did to move up and get Ty Jerome completely out of the they were out of the draft completely at that point because they traded the second round pick with TJ Warren. They used the Bucks pick to go up and get Ty Jerome with Aaron Baines. What's your expectations for Ty Jerome this year? Yeah, I think another question or another guy where the question of what position he plays is interesting because I think he's another player where with the the lack of uh ideal shooting guard looking player to to fill those minutes behind Devin Booker. I think Jerome's somebody who maybe could get on the court that way. And I think uh, the discussion around both he and, and Johnson is pretty similar, which is I don't think that Jerome is, is really going to be able to defend anyone when he gets into the NBA uh, early on. So you just get him on the court to see how his shooting and playmaking can make an impact on offense. And I think there he can play the one or the two, if that's all you're counting on him to do. So I think my expectation is he'll get like, you know, fourth or fifth guard minutes. And if he, if the things we love about his game can translate right away, then I think he'll start to to up his role over the course of the season too. Yeah. I think with, with Jerome, he's going to be in a position early on this season, like Elliot Kobo and Ta- and D'Anthony Melton were last year. They really weren't in the rotation much at all. Then we saw Jamal Crawford give away the second half of the season. Is that what you're expecting also this year? Because I just have a hard time imagining Ty Jerome really playing that much, at least in the first few weeks of the season, because that rotation already, the first nine to 10 guys is so deep. Yeah, and, and we haven't even accounted for, just because I'm not sure if he'll be around, but as of now, there's also Javon Carter there, who uh, you don't want to just waste him if he's on your roster. You know, I think it's worth seeing what he has. So he's another guy who will be at least in the mix there to get minutes if injuries or you know, who knows what else happens. And they also signed a two-way uh, point guard. So there's just a lot of guys there. And that's also the the position group where the team's best player is. So I agree. Like, it's tough to imagine him being around and, and, and super involved right away. I think the other thing to mention, too, as you kind of hinted at with the possibility that he plays more over the, the second half of the season or just, you know, by the end of it, he's more of a part of the uh, consistent nightly rotation is – the potential that Tyler Johnson gets traded. I think that's a real, real possibility, even if even if it's not for a superstar. I just think he's going to be an actually pretty desirable bench scorer for a team. Uh, maybe not, you know, the top of anybody's list, but I think he'll be on a lot of other teams' radars as an expiring contract. So if he gets dealt, then that opens up, obviously, a huge spot in the Suns rotation where Kobo, Carter, Jerome, all will be able to, to step into it. 
Yeah, I think with Jerome the most, when I watch him play, I know he's a great shooter like Cam Johnson, career 40% of Virginia, but I really love his passing ability. I know James Jones even higher on him than us because he says he's the best pick-and-roll passer in the draft. What are, What's your thoughts on Jerome's game from that standpoint as far as his passing goes? Because I think re- learning from Ricky Rubio especially is a great way to get his mentorship going. For sure, and and I think, you know, that's that's probably what I, you know, to, to keep it going from – the, the last part of what I was saying, as far as Johnson getting traded, I think that's one of the, I mean, that is the thing that he holds in his toolbox that the other guards on this roster, aside from Rubio, really don't have. Probably, you know, if he gets to where we think he can be uh, as, a, as a playmaker in the pick and roll and in transition, he's just a, a really smart, great vision. He's just an awesome playmaker. And no one else can really say that. I would say he's probably, like I said, if he gets to that point, the second best passer on this on this roster, even above Booker. You know, he has a long way to go, but I think he could get there. His, his ceiling is there. So if Johnson does get dealt, or if you were even thinking a little bit further down the line, I think he's a, a prime candidate to, to be a, a good backup point guard in this league. So that could happen as soon as this year. I, I don't think it's unreasonable. He's already older and he's already flashed it at the highest levels in the ACC and in a national championship run. Like we know that skill is legit and it's just a matter of getting him on the court and seeing how it works. I, I feel like we're kind of hitting on the same points with Cam Johnson. Like we are tied Jerome because they kind of have this, they share the same similarities and the same differences because as far as Cam Johnson goes, his biggest weakness is defense. And with Ty Jerome, it's going to be defense on the next level. I know he's a savvy player, high IQ player, but athleticism is probably going to be a thing that you have to watch for with him guarding ones and twos on the next level. What's your opinion on Ty Jerome and if he could be a plus on the next level or at least hold his own? Yeah, well, I think the reason we're using the kind of having the same conversation about both of them is because the, the, the Suns had an obvious – mo with their draft and and so they they pick two guys that are at at different positions but are pretty similar and so i think a lot of the same things are there i think it's even a a longer path Uh, i have a hard time believing that jerome is ever a starting level guard i i mean it's it's probably too early to say that definitively i'm i'm ready to be proven wrong there he's just a rookie but just we have a lot of evidence that his athleticism foot speed uh, strength, wingspan, all the things that make it that much easier for a guy to be a good NBA defender. They just aren't there for Jerome. So he's going to have a, a much longer path to overcoming those physical uh, limitations to, to actually provide an impact on defense. And I think that's his key to sticking around in the rotation, in the league, et cetera, is just what's the baseline of who he can defend. If he can only defend like bad backups like you know the 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 very worst point guards in the league that's not enough that's not going to earn him a spot in the league consistently year in and year out especially on a good team so uh it it seems to me to be kind of similar to to johnson in the same ways but even even worse unfortunately i'm thinking as far as trying to fit like extra minutes for ty jerome this year i'm kind of pushing out frank kaminsky just because i want to go small ball here in this scenario but what's your opinion of this lineup that would go Ty Jerome, a point guard, Tyler Johnson, a shooting guard. Then you have Mikhail Burris at the three, Cam Johnson at the four, and Aaron Baines at the five. I, I feel like that's a way you can get Ty, Ty Jerome at least more minutes early on in the season, but obviously he's got to prove himself. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think maybe we could see some of that. You know, I just think it's not really a priority for them to do that. I mean, I think that I, – I don't know, but I just think – 
you look at the way that they've approached everything, why why do you bring in a guy like Frank Kaminsky if you want to leave those four minutes open? They didn't even use that room exception last season. This year they used it on a guy who is kind of at a make it or break it part of his career, and and that really feels like somebody who needs to play and probably deserves to play more than a rookie does. So I just don't think that it's the Suns' prerogative right now to do that. I just don't think that they have the desire to try to f- carve out those minutes. I think they're fine to wait, and I think that's smart. Um, you pointed out a, a larger problem that maybe is isn't for another podcast down the road when we really start to think about this season, but uh, this team has nobody who can defend fours. That's just true. I think Ubre can't really do it consistently. Sharge can't always do it depending on the athleticism level of the guy. Um, Kaminsky's more of a defensive five. Bridges isn't quite there yet physically. So that's that's a problem, and I think we might see that crop up and, and lead to some changes, but that doesn't necessarily pertain to Jerome. It would just be, I guess, as you're saying, a way for him to get some more minutes if things do shuffle around. Yeah, I'm looking here at the minutes totals for these two young guys last year. I know D'Anthony Mellon got traded, but he played 19.7 minutes last year. Akoba played around the same minutes as well. Do you expect over-under, I mean, this is just a quick over-under here, of around 18 minutes per game for Ty Jerome next year? Because I feel like with both these guys, I think it's a whole different philosophical change because I know the rookies didn't have to earn it, but now I think under Monty Williams, you're going to have to earn it. I could easily see maybe both those guys playing less than 15 minutes per game if they do that style. Yeah, I I think Jerome is going to be a DNP a lot of nights, especially early on, so I just don't see him. He'd have to play a ton to overcome that, so I, I think not. I think it'll be an under for him and uh, probably an under for Johnson, whatever, whatever you said it at. I just, I think obviously Johnson's more obviously has a path, but still, I think it'll be somewhat of a last resort to turn to the rookies at this point. But, uh, what do you think as far as minutes for Jerome go? I think for me, I'd put it around like 10 to 12. I, I don't expect much at all. I think I think a second half bump. I think I, I'm totally agreeing with you there about Tyler Johnson being traded, whether it's December or in February. I think he's going to be one of the more attractive pieces if it's not for a superstar trade or a star trade for the Suns to get someone back, or it's going to be a playoff team and wants an extra third guard on their team. I think he's going to be a really valuable piece at the deadline. I could see around 10 to 12 minutes. What do you think there? Because I think it's not going to be much more than that. Yeah, that, that that's realistic to me. That's much more in the ballpark if you think he does get you know 15 or 20 late in the year that'll be enough to kind of average it out make it make it a season-long average of around 12 or so so yeah sure I think that's that's closer to where I am but uh, a guy who will have a much smaller role even than these two is Jalen LeCue we'll get to him after the break but first a reminder of all of the fantasy football coverage going on on the Locked On Podcast Network so if you play fantasy football, make sure that you listen to Vinny Iyer and the Locked On Fantasy Football Show. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering the game. So don't listen to the same old stuff as everyone else on all the big networks, because then you're just the same as everyone else when it comes to draft strategy and week-to-week strategy. So get the edge from Vinny that will put you ahead on draft day and all season long. Go to Locked On Fantasy Football on your favorite podcast provider to get that edge. Okay, so LeCue is, I think, uh, clearly not. I, I mean, they haven't even made any secret of it. I, I imagine he'll be up north quite a bit this season. And um, I think the fact that they kept the Northern Arizona staff around and wanted to have that continuity there and filled their two-way slots more quickly than Ryan McDonough did and, and all those things, I think, 
signals a, a further commitment to using the Northern Arizona program to actually help players rather than just kind of be somewhere to dump them. And I think LeCue could be somebody who is the first case study there. So I don't think his role in Phoenix will be big, but he'll get an opportunity to go out there on a nightly basis and actually play big minutes and learn the NBA game rather than, you know, un- <laughs> he's coming straight out of high school. So this is to me pretty optimal route for him to go. Yeah, I really love how they insulated him as far as the situation goes. They got Jared Harper on a two-way contract. I think those two played really well together in Las Vegas. So you put LeCue Moore as an off-guard right away. I think he's going to have to learn being a primary ball handler. That's the uh, the future goal for a guy like Jalen LeCue to be on the Suns roster long-term. But I, I really like how they're just putting the situation in Jalen LeCue's hands. They're not going to rush him. He's not going to be christened as a star right away in Northern Arizona either. I, I just really like how they're going to do it. And I think – I, I, let me toss it back to Ray for this question, too, because I feel like, like you mentioned, LeCue's the first case study for them really using the G League a lot. But I feel like if Monty Williams and, and James Jones were in place, we would have saw Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender on the Northern Arizona Suns at least once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are the two guys that are the easiest to point to. You even think about guys like Tyler Eulis and Davon Reed, who I think both of them did spend time in Northern Arizona, but not nearly enough, and they were playing – NBA minutes. Um, and then, you know, Reed was just never really caught on. There's a lot of guys through the past few years that I think would have benefited and it. It felt obvious in the moment. Um, I think in the other direction, LeCue would have been in the NBA as like a freaking starting point guard if Ryan McDonough had, had signed him. So all of it, I think to me signals a much uh, better approach and I'm, I'm fully on board with it. It's one of the things I'm most uh, optimistic about when it comes to Jones. I want to, instead of doing minutes though with LeCue, because it feels like kind of silly. Uh, what do you, what do you think as far as NBA games on the Phoenix team this year? As far as if he's like with the team or like he actually logs minutes, uh, like actually plays like how many NBA games do you think he'll play in this year? Oh, that's, that's tough. I, I feel like setting the over under a five. I feel like it's not going to be much at all. I feel like maybe at the end of the season that he plays maybe in April, but that's it. I feel like at most five. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you think that he plays <clears throat> a lot of G League minutes or a lot of G League games, um, their, their season's, I think, 50 games long. If he's up there for the majority of their games and then comes down and, and plays at the very tail end of the season, I think that's a really constructive year for him. Um, but I just think, yeah, that's, that's probably, I was going to say 10, but I think you're probably right. I, I don't think it would even be 10. If, if it is, it's probably because terrible injury luck has, has struck. So probably not what we should be hoping for or expecting anyway. Um, what kinds of things do you think he needs to get better at from the lim- limited experience we saw in summer league? I don't know if you, I wrote it up a little blurb on it on bright side of the sun. I don't know if you watched the full or listened to the full episode, with Brett Burchard on the the Suns podcast, the outlet, but he was talking about that he sent quizzes and and assigned journal entries with LeCue this summer to make sure he was learning the schemes correctly. So that seems to be their emphasis, just getting the stuff drilled into his memory. But as part of his game, what do you think is kind of the the first step he needs to start with? I think it's his shot, and it's overall, I think it needs to be rehauled a lot. It's not as bad as Josh Jackson was at Candace originally, but. It's a shot putty like shot. I don't like how it comes out of his hands at all. It's probably just going to be reps and refinement there. But as you saw, if he tried some jumpers there, he was kind of inconsistent where he would shoot it. He'd be right at the peak of his jumper to be Williams falling down. 
So I, I really wonder how he's going to be. I like his defensive mentality, of course. He did really well on the defensive end in Vegas, but his offensive repertoire outside really driving to the basket and exploiting to the rim, there's really not much there at the moment. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I agree with you. It it just looks like the the, the shooting touch is, is really uh, off right now. It, it just kind of flies up in the air and – there's really no telling where the ball will end up, which is, is uh, I think, you know, one of the reasons he didn't get drafted. I think he could have gotten drafted, but I think he would have been a lot higher if he had that shot. Like you saw with Anthony Simons, he's um, he was a money jump shooter from all different sorts of situations and coming out of a similar situation five years in high school, got drafted in the first round. So I agree with you. That's probably the main thing. And I think obviously physically needs to develop, but that's an expectation. I think of any 18 year old, 19 year old coming into the NBA is that they're going to build up physically and, and spend, be able to spend more time on that one now that it's, it's their job. But uh, is there anything else kind of thinking about LeCue's season this far out that, that jumps to your mind? Yeah. I'm just curious to see whether like not even this year, I just want to see like 2020, 2021, what he looks like, because there's definitely potential there. We saw it in Las Vegas. We've seen it on highlight tapes. He's on ball his life and slam and all this stuff. What do you, what do you think is the ceiling for the Q? Cause I don't, I really don't think it's a starting point guard right now. I really just don't. What do you think is maybe the optimum output for a guy like Jalen the Q? Because maybe he's your backup two guard or your backup point guard at some point. But I mean, obviously he has a lot to prove and he has a lot to prove me wrong. Of course, he's coming out of high school right now. So it's going to be a couple of years, but I, I just don't see starting NBA point guard at the moment. Yeah, at the moment, no, but I think it's we've seen so little and the the situation is so screwed up, uh, not even screwed up like that's, that makes it sound bad, but just so different from how we are used to analyzing players. I think that it just makes it impossible to to guess, in my opinion. So, I, I mean, he could be a, he could be a starter. He could be an all star. Like, I feel like I just ha- I have no idea really right now. He showed a as much as I possibly could have hoped for in summer league. And that's kind of the only thing I have to judge him on right now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I think this year I'll be watching more G league games than I probably would like to, unfortunately, just to, to get a better feel for what he looks like. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's probably the best bet right now is that he's like a third guard, but I think the sky's the limit just because of how little we've seen. Real quick before we end the show, we might as well end on this because we saw Melton and Kobe used like this last year. When they put, uh, we're probably going to see daily emails from Suns PR saying LaCue sent down, LaCue's called up, sent down, called up. What do you think his minutes are going to be in Northern Arizona? Do you think it's going to be like a Kobe Melton where they just send him down there? He's playing the whole game pretty much 40 minutes per game. Or do you think they're going to maybe slowly bring him along like maybe the first few weeks of the season? He's playing like 20 minutes per game off the bench. Well, I think having Harper there and then also potentially having David Kramer there are two. Uh, you know, fringe level NBA guys, two way guys who will be around a lot with him. And I think they might, if they know, if they know at the outset of the season that he's going to be up there a lot, um, then I could imagine he's more of a part of the team and, and part of a, a real rotation and program rather than just being somebody like a Kobo or Melton where it's like, oh, we got this guy for the night. So let's just get him as much run as we can. I, I think that's like probably an unhealthy way to use the the team uh, if you if you're smart about it. So I think if, if they know right now that that's the plan for him, I think we could see him just kind of be more of like a plays eight minutes at the beginning, sits, comes back in to close the half, like a real player rather than just the superstar who jumps in for 
a game every couple months. So I hope that it's less. I hope because I just think learning that the the routine of of what an NBA season is like and what being on a professional team is like and making it work as a leader with your teammates, all those things are just as important for him as, you know, building up the jumper or adding muscle. So I hope he's not just like the 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 star student every week uh, down there. I think he could benefit from more structure. Yeah, I think just from our conversation today, it, it's a realization that I'm coming to. It's just finally crystallizing because it's the first time in our podcast history that the Suns are not going to be relying on the rookies at all this year pretty much. And that's a nice change of pace, Brandon. Definitely. I'm excited to watch real NBA players and talk about how they're getting better rather than imagining how guys who are bad at basketball might get better. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, like that's just the reality. How many guys have we talked about that are literally not even going to play in the NBA after leaving the Suns? So this is a much better step up from there. Yeah, you look at the 2016-2017 draft class. If Josh Jackson his team option declined, then every single player will be out of the league by the end of the season, which is pretty incredible. Dragon Bender, if he sticks around Milwaukee, give him credit there. I think that's a good spot for him. But that's the end of today's show, everybody. Appreciate you listening in. As always, back with you guys, as usual, three times a week throughout the offseason here on Locked on Sun.